0: The story surrounding the eight teenage girls charged with beating a homeless man to death in the city seems to only be getting more bizarre as there have now been questions around if this was the same group that could have been responsible for a number of assaults on the TTC just hours before the death of Ken Lee. Well, Joseph Newberger is a lawyer with Neuberger and partners and host of the podcast not on record welcome joseph to the show
1: thank you very much for having me
0: everything we say is on record just for just to (laughs) let you know joseph (laughs) that's a good one (laughs) i'm sure you've heard that before uh first of all what were your thoughts when you initially heard of this horrific story
1: i was uh you know first thing i thought is where the parents um that was the first thing i thought and and um it's shocking because you have a group of uh, young girls who should be doing other things in their lives, like, you know, uh, studying, enjoying other activities, being with their family, and they're out um, possibly in the subway doing things and then attacking this poor uh, man and allegedly killing him. So I was quite shocked by it. And to me, I felt it was a failure of, of a system. Um, I didn't see it so much purely as a criminal justice issue. I saw it as a failure of a system.
0: What do you mean by that, failure of a system?
1: So, you know, there's a lot of focus when we have offenses like this. And, and and if I can just go back for one second, over the last two decades, you know, the rate of violent offenses has been steadily decreasing. So in Ontario, we're at one of the lowest rates we've been in two or three decades. Mm-hmm. And what I feel that, you know, it, I feel that we don't invest enough in education and healthcare, care and mental health and identifying families, or people at risk. And, um, and there's always the talk with politicians about, we need mandatory sentences, we need to throw away the key, we need to do this, and they want to pour money into that system, but not put it into trying to develop strategies to deal with the ideology of crime. You know, what happened to these families? Why are these girls at 14, 15, 16 out doing this, you know, uh, allegedly doing this crazy behavior? That's what, what concerns me a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I'm sure the parents of these girls are just wondering what went wrong and what happened as well. You know, I wonder, Joseph, you know, we've had a number of guests on this show talking about also the impact that the pandemic has had on young people. And, you know, and and when you talk about mental health, that's an aspect of that as well. How often do you see cases of girls specifically ganging up on someone like this. I mean, you know, I think that's yeah. what shocks a lot of people. Unfortunately, we hear a lot of young men getting caught up in gang culture, but we don't always hear about young girls getting caught up in this culture.
1: It's definitely more rare, but what what doesn't get as much attention is there are, you know, young girls or females that are involved in other type of bullying or harassment activities Um, do get mixed up with gangs. Um, And so we've actually seen it in our office a few times. And it's usually a similar pattern where they fall into a bad group. Um, They're looking for association with a group that will accept them and they can spend time with and And they have some camaraderie and a sense of, you know, emotional fulfillment. And then they get caught up in this. And it's not at the same rate as young boys, but it does exist. And I'm not sure you know, really why it seems to be growing a bit right now. But I think you you raise an extremely good point, which is the pandemic had a major hit. We ripped children out of schools at a very young age, took them out of, you know, a a major stage of social development, and then they were put into difficult positions. And many whose families weren't going to be able to be there to support them in the way that others might be fortunate enough, they suffered a lot. And, And I think kids overall suffered.
0: Why do you think one of the eight girls was granted bail and the other seven are still awaiting a hearing? What does that tell us?
1: Well, it, it could be a number of factors. So in a group a situation like this, you can have um, two or three people who are really more of the uh, participants and the others who are far more peripheral. And so there may be a, a evidence that would show that the, um, the involvement of the individual who got bail is far less um, uh, clear or serious than the others. So sometimes in an activity like this, you, you can have a couple of people say, I didn't know that this person, I'm not saying in this case, I'm just saying, right. for example, I had no clue this person had a weapon on them. Mm. Uh, and that was not the intent. And and then there's no evidence that the person who got bail, for example, would be standing there watching or participating in some very minor way, um, but not involved in, in the more egregious conduct.
0: Right. How complex can this case get, especially if these eight girls start turning on each other once yeah. you know, a trial is called?
1: So you raise a very good point. So in this case, you might expect one or two to turn into witnesses for the Crown. Mm. That may happen. Uh, it will get complex because depending upon the evidence that's available, um, you know, many accused can point the finger at, at each other and say, I didn't know this person had a weapon. I didn't know this one did it. If you can't pinpoint who had the knife, who 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 were the main players uh, to to commit this horrific act, then the prosecution can become more difficult. And it may be a situation where um, one or two wind up testifying for the crown or the other thing they may do instead of trying all of them together as eight people, you can then separate them into groups. So you could separate them into two fours or into twos and run separate prosecutions and then call, even if they don't cooperate, you can call one against the other in separate prosecution cases.
0: Okay. So is the Youth Criminal Justice Act able to properly deal with this complex case, especially when you're talking about eight individuals who will probably have eight different stories? And as you said, if one didn't know that the other had a weapon. Talk to me about the complexity of that with the Youth Criminal Justice Act.
1: Okay, so so I'm glad you're asking this, so that people clearly understand. So the Youth Criminal Justice Act uh, deals with procedures and and sentencing for uh, young people under the age of 18. That's all. So the procedure for a trial is still pretty much the same as it is under the Criminal Code for an adult. Mm. So in this case, um, uh, they will have a right to a trial uh, before a youth court judge, or a trial before a judge and jury, or a judge alone in the superior court or they could get a prelim, just like an adult charged with murder. So it's the same evidentiary and procedural uh, steps that the prosecution would have to go through if the accused were 18, 19, or 20. Second, um, and I think this is what people focus on more under the Youth Criminal Justice Act, is that young people can get away with murder, frankly, and that's not true either. So if individuals are convicted of murder, so let's say second-degree murder, the Crown can then seek prior to sentence Uh, An adult sentence and they will give notice at the outset of the case but if the person is 14 years or over uh, they can be liable for a life sentence Mm -hmm. and there is different parole ineligibility So as an adult parole ineligibility for conviction of second-degree murder is 10 years in the case of a person who's uh, 14 years it could be five to seven years um, or if the person was, uh, I think if, if it's 16 or 17 years of age, then the minimum is seven years for parole eligibility. So it's not far off of what the adults are. Yeah. And given their age, they'd wind up first serving the sentence in a youth facility, and they could serve it until age 20, and then they would be transferred to an adult se- uh, place. I see. Um, and then, if convicted of lesser offenses, but still very serious offenses, then the one good thing about Youth Criminal Justice Act, which is which I like, is there's a much more variation where you can put into place not only jail sentences but intense rehabilitative programs, because youth, their brains are not developed at the same uh, as an adult who's twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. So their ability to make rational decisions and think through these issues is much different. We know how children are. Um, you know, if you have teenagers, you, you know sometimes they're not thinking. So we have to account for that within the youth justice process. But the penalties are harsh and the procedures and the evidentiary procedures are all there to properly handle the case. And there will be very astute prosecutors assigned to this. So I'm not worried about the prosecution.
0: Okay, so much great information. Thanks so much, Joseph, for your time today.